Once again, greetings in the name of Jesus Christ. And in case you don't know me, I'm Stephen. I'm one of the clergy who is privileged to serve here at Truro, where I've been for the last 10 years. It's always a joy for me to share from the Word of God. And today, we're continuing with our summer series of the Psalms, uh, which, if you're visiting, we intend to finish some 15 or so years from now. So I just invite you to stay at Truro for at least 15 years so that we can go through the book of Psalms together. And today we shall be looking at Psalm 9, which is a Psalm of David titled, I Will Recount Your Wonderful Deeds. And it's directed to the choir master and supposedly to be played or sung to the tune of Math Laban. The actual interpretation of Math Laban uh, is not really known, whether it's a, a tune or a person or an instrument. Some scholars say it means on the death of Laban, and others say on the death of a son. But whatever it means, we know that it's a psalm of David, and that in this psalm they choose to focus on recounting the wonderful deeds of God. Now, I believe that God has a word for us in this psalm, and I've titled it Wholehearted Worship, Heartfelt Prayer. And to ease our reflection on this psalm, I've divided it into two main parts. And the first part from verse 1 to 11 can be read as a praise to the Lord that includes his wonderful deeds. And I will be spending most of that time on that because uh, that's what the title of the psalm is. And then in the verses that follow after from around verse 13 to 20, we see it more as a prayer or a petition that David makes to the Lord about the future. It kind of reminds me of that old hymn, Oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. David keeps going back and forth. And in this psalm, it's, it's, a, it's a little complicated as a psalm because in one way it's speaking about praise, in another way it's got a lament in it. And right smack in the middle, in verse 11, he talks again about praising the Lord. So it's like David keeps going back and forth in this psalm. And then at the same time, in some ways, David says, I, he speaks almost to himself. And then again, he addresses the Lord and he says, you, Lord, you, you, you. And then at some point, it's like he's addressing a congregation and saying what the Lord, the Lord is. So it's, it's a psalm that goes through all these different aspects. And we're trying to capture it in one, uh, one thing of uh, you know, what does it mean to have wholehearted worship and what does it mean to have heartfelt prayer? Now, the first two verses of Psalms, of this Psalm, are very profound statements of worship. And I want us to think about them a little differently. And I will spend slightly more time on these two verses because I think they present what I call a thesis of worship. And there are statements which all begin with, I will. So he says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. Notice his, those two lines, is like he's talking to God now. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. What do these verses, what do these two verses teach us about worship? First of all, that we need to give thanks to the Lord with all our heart. 
David says, I will give thanks. It's a personal choice. It's a conscious choice we make. He wants to do it. He, he wills to do it. It's not just a cultural instinct, but a lifestyle, irrespective of what's going on in David's life at the time. And from the rest of the psalm, we realize that it wasn't all rosy. He chooses to give thanks to the Lord. But he does not only choose to give thanks to the Lord. He says, with my whole heart. With the whole heart. David, whom the Bible says was a man after God's own heart, uh, teaches us that true worship is wholehearted. You have to be all in. It's all or nothing. God does not want some of you. He wants all of you and he wants all of me. And this is why we hear in the summary of the law that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all of it. God wants all of it. He wants all your heart. He doesn't want just the good part, the Anglican part, the saved part, the gentle part. He wants all of it. And what David keeps teaching us through the Psalms, he, he has this prayer style that just opens up his whole heart to the Lord and pours it all out. Because the Lord knows our hearts anyway. He made them. So wholehearted worship. And one of the things that distracts us from worship, as we all know, there are so many things, but one of the most common ones is the phone. <laughs> the phone. I don't know, you need to cast those demons out of phones sometimes. <laughs> They're so destructful. We, we, we kind of, there is even a disease now that's associated to when you've left your phone somewhere. You get into a panic attack and there is, a, there is a, you know, some medical term for it now. It's a distraction. There are things that distract us that make us worry and not give our whole heart to God. So we need to think about what is it that will prevent me from giving thanks with my whole heart. We need to give thanks with our whole heart. Thanksgiving. The next line, I will recount all your wonderful deeds. The word recount is not the same as just saying remember. When we come before the Lord, we come to, it's not that we're telling him, reminding him of things he has done or things that he, he may do. Instead, we're building up our own faith by declaring his greatness, by recounting all that he has done for us. Now, when I start recounting what the Lord has brought me through, it's too wonderful. How he could take a wretch like me and make me a minister of his word and sacrament we all know where the Lord has brought us from. Everybody here has their own story. And recounting how God has delivered us is a core part of our worship. We cannot save ourselves. We are fully dependent on the grace and mercies of God. So he says we need to recount this. We need to see where God has brought us from. And it would take a very long time to do that because before the world began, God had you in mind. We're told that he would he knit us in our mother's wombs. He had that. He knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. So if we start recounting, he allowed you to live. He has allowed you to have breath. That's why the Bible says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. We need to recount what the Lord has brought us through. We need to recount what the Lord has brought us through as a church to see that we're still here. Serving the Lord, praising the Lord, lifting up the name of Jesus here at Truro. 
We need to recount. We need to praise the Lord for that. Amen. Amen. So we need to recount. He says, I will recount all the wonderful deeds of the Lord. It's wonderful what the Lord has done in our midst. The third line, he says, I will be glad and exalt in you. I like how one commentary explains gladness. It says, this is simply choosing to rest in and celebrate the goodness, greatness, and kindness of God. That's what it means to be glad. It's to celebrate the goodness, the greatness, and the kindness of God. And I like how the New Living Translation, when we think about the word exalt, which is not the same as exalt, E-X-A-L-T, uh, it's exalt, E-X-U-L-T, I'll exalt in you. And I like the way the New Living Translation uh, interprets this verse. It says, I will be filled with joy because of you. So the, the, the psalmist here is telling God that I will be filled with joy because of you. We need to be filled with joy, not because of our bank account, not because everything is going smooth, but because we are sure God is on our side, that he loves us anyway. He understands us. He gets us. He is there for us. He fights for us. He's worthy of all our worship and praise. I will be filled with joy because of you. And the last line, David says, I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. David here teaches us that worship involves singing. It's a natural progression from thankfulness to joyfulness to singing. David specifically says, I will sing praise. Now, this is a word to those of you who think, who think that uh, singing is for the choir and singing is for all those other people. David says we need to sing to the Lord songs of praise. It's not about your voice. It's not about whether you're on key or not on key, whether, you know, some singing sounds like croaking. It doesn't matter to God. It is singing. We need to sing to the Lord. And David says we need to sing to the most high God. It's a natural progression that if you're bursting with joy and praise, you sing to the Lord. You compose poems to the Lord. It's a natural progression. So David says we need to sing to the Lord. And if we don't sing, uh, let me tell you that in, if you want to know what we're going to be doing in heaven, we're going to be singing praises to the Lord day and night, night and day. We're going to be singing to the Lord. In the book of Revelation, we read that they're, they're all the angels, all the saints and angels, they keep bowing before the throne, casting their crowns before the Lord and singing, you're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. We need to sing to the Lord. David was a worshiper. He had wholehearted worship. He said, sing to the Lord. And I want to challenge those of you that don't sing or don't like singing or think singing is for crazy people. You need to sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord with joy. The psalm I read, Psalm 100, is all about... Enter his gates with thanksgiving, coming to his house with praise. Sing to the Lord. We need to sing to the Lord, to the God most high. These two, these two verses are so profound. They teach us that we need to really worship the Lord with truth 
and with all our heart. And this is what Psalm 9 teaches us about worship. But the psalm also teaches us about the realities of the battle we face day to day. And we need to, the, the need for heartfelt prayer. We see that in Psalm 9, David is unscripted. And quite frankly, in most of the psalms, he's unscripted. He just pours out his heart to God. And from verses 3 to 12, David recounts some of the Lord's wondrous deeds. Specifically, he talks about what the Lord has done against his enemies, against wicked people, against evil nations. David acknowledges several attributes of God as a righteous judge who punishes sin, who rebukes nations, who roots out cities, who blots out the names of the wicked forever. The Lord has a track record of dealing decisively with evil. He has been faithful and just through the ages. But David also acknowledges the lordship of God as one who is enthroned forever. He cannot be overthrown. We're living in times, surprisingly, when we still have military coups. One just happened in Niger. They overthrew the government over there. Men can overthrow men, but no one can overthrow God. So he says he's enthroned forever. He cannot be overthrown. And we know that the last person who attempted to overthrow God, we know what happened to him. We know what happened to Lucifer. You cannot overthrow God. We serve the most high God. We need to remember that we serve the most high God who cannot be overthrown, who will fight off our enemies. And this is what David says. And one of the themes that is prevalent through this psalm and several other psalms of David is the notion that the Lord is always on the side of those being treated unfairly. The oppressed, the poor, the needy, the vulnerable, the widows, the orphans. And we see that verse 9 and 12 comes as such an encouragement that the Lord is a stronghold to those who are oppressed. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. God always remembers his people. He remembers you, he remembers me. When you're going through difficulty, when you're going through oppression, when you're going through hardship, when you're going through all sorts of crazy things, I want you to remember that God does not forget the cry of the afflicted. We need to cry out to the Lord and sometimes it seems that he's not listening, but he's listening. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. God always remembers his people. In Exodus chapter 2, verse 23 to 25, we read an account of how God sees the suffering and oppression of the children of Israel and remembers his promise to Abraham concerning them. It says that during those days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of this, their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue came their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. You see, when we cry to the Lord, our cries rise to him. So it says the Israelites cried out to God and their cry went up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel and he knew. So God understands. He sees. This is the promise of this psalm to us, 
that the Lord does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Brothers and sisters, what the psalm is really saying, in other words, is that weeping may endure for a night, but joy will always come in the morning. In Psalm 9, David is speaking from experience. He saw his enemies stumble and perish before God. We know them. Saul tried to kill him. Goliath, the Philistines, the Amalekites, many enemies. He saw them stumble and perish before God's presence. He saw the Lord blot out the names of the wicked forever and ever. He saw the Lord judge them with righteousness and uprightness. He says he knew the Lord as a stronghold in times of trouble. Do you know the Lord as a stronghold in times of trouble? What do you do when you're in trouble? What's your instinct? Is it to call somebody? Is it to call the priest? Is it to complain? Is it to shout? Is it to scream? What this psalm is teaching us is that we need to make God our stronghold in times of trouble. We need to go to him. The Bible says that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. We get safety in the name of the Lord. He's a stronghold in times of trouble. To wind up the praise part of this psalm, we read that David says in verses 10 and 11, And those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. What a promise that God will not forsake those who seek him. If you seek the Lord, in Hebrews 11:6, it says God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If you seek the Lord, you will find him. He has not forsaken those who seek him. David is speaking about himself, but he's also speaking for all of us as believers. This is such an encouragement. We know that David knew God. He trusted God. And this verse just reminds us, all of us, to seek the Lord, knowing that he will not forsake us. We used to sing a song back in the day by Don Moen that says, if we call to him, he will answer us. If we run to him, he will run to us. If we lift our hands, he will lift us up. He will heal our hearts. If we rend our hearts, he will heal our land. God, this God, rewards those who seek him. So David concludes in verse 11 that sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. David is here encouraging us to testify about the goodness of God. We should not be silent about what the Lord has done in our lives. Back in the day when I was at university, what we used to do, we used to have the main Christian Union Fellowship, and we would meet, I think it was every Friday, we would, go, we would go to church and we would meet, and we spent the first half of that service just testifying about the goodness of God. And the way they would say, they would just say, does anybody here have a testimony for the Lord? A testimony about what the Lord has done. And then people would line up, everybody's kind of rushing in to testify about the goodness of God in their lives. And I know that if I called people and said, is there something that the Lord has done for you that you want to testify about? I'm sure we'd have a beeline over here of people testifying about the goodness of God. So David tells us here that tell among the peoples his deeds. We need to testify about the Lord. 
We need to testify at our workplaces. We need to tell people what the Lord has done because no one can challenge your experience. We're not preaching at them. We're not getting into their space, but we say that this is what the Lord has done for me. And people just need to hear it. He says, declare it among the people. You see, the Bible gives us an account of what the Lord has done and provides us a blueprint of what the Lord will do because God is consistent. There is no shadow of turning with him. Now, the second part of the psalm, and I want to go to it real quickly, is a petition to God. From verse 13 to the end, we see David making a heartfelt prayer. From the Psalms, we see that David made some of the most honest, down-to-earth, unscripted, raw prayers in the Bible. He's known for just opening his heart to God and letting whatever is inside come out. And I want to challenge us to look for a place. Look for, it could be a place in the home. I find this place when I walk in the woods where you can just be yourself and pour out your heart to God unscripted, unedited, just the way it is. One other place that you can do that is in the cars you drive. Just don't close your eyes. (laughs) You can pour out your heart to God, unscripted. You don't have to be, you know, cute and, uh, and pretend how humble and nice you are. Remember, God wants all of you. Just pour out your heart to God. And I was doing that uh, just yesterday. I was just pouring out my heart to God. Just going and going, going and going and going on and saying, Lord, this is where I am now. Take me and use me for your glory. This is what I am. I have no pretenses. I'm just, just here, just as I am, without one plea. I come before you. David prayed to the Lord, and he comes with this humility before the Lord and says, Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. All you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion, I may rejoice in your salvation. Let me tell you, friends, we need to rejoice in our salvation, in God's salvation. We need to rejoice in that. And David says, be gracious to me, O God. Be gracious. See my affliction. See my situation. It's hard over here. I have enemies. There are people besieging me everywhere. But do it. Deliver me so that I may recount all your praises in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I may rejoice in your salvation. David is asking the Lord to deliver him again. He acknowledged that God had saved him from death, not for him to just boast about it, but that David may praise him and rejoice because of his deliverance. You know, later in Psalm 30, verse 8, we read David saying, To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. It kind of rhymes with this very verse. Will the dust praise you? If I die, what profit is there in my death if I go to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell your people of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me, O Lord, my helper. David is saying, you're keeping me alive. You're delivering me so that I may declare your praise. We're kept alive to declare the praises and faithfulness of God amongst the people. And this is what David wants us to remember. This is what the Bible wants us to remember. That we join, we share in the joy of others. 
We magnify the Lord for what he has done. And from verse 15 onwards, David recounts again God's track record of faithfulness while projecting the same God will continue to act in the future. He speaks with confidence that the nations that forget God shall perish. And in verse 18, he says, For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. God remembers. Sometimes it seems like things are not happening. And we, you know, we're living at a time when there seems to be so much evil in the world. There are people distorting scripture, interpreting all sorts of things, uh, people twisting the word of God, and not just, not just in the secular world, in churches as well. Men just thinking that they can change the word of God at will and interpret it whichever way they want. And people taking, uh, you know, uh, things into their own hands. But David says, the needy shall not always be forgotten. A time will come when the Lord will remember. And the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. In these verses, David is simply saying justice will come. He saw it in the past and he knew it will always come. If we patiently wait on the Lord. And he ends by pleading with the Lord not to let evil man prevail or the unjust get away. And he says that those oppressors and enemies who profane the name of the Lord should not get away with it. In verse 19 to 20 he says, Arise, O Lord. Let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O God, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. Commenting on this verse, 20, Spurgeon says this, one would think that men would not grow so vain as to deny themselves to be but men. But it appears to be a lesson which only a divine schoolmaster can teach to some proud spirits. Crowns leave their wearers but men. Degrees of eminent learning make their owners not more than men. Valor and conquest cannot elevate beyond the dead level of but men. All the wealth of King Croesus, or Croesus, the wisdom of Solon, that's the Athenian statesman, the power of Alexander the Great, the eloquence of Desmothsins, this is the celebrated Greek orator, if added together would leave the possessor but a man. You're just a man. May we ever remember this, lest like those in the text, we should be put to fear. That the nations will be still and know that he is God. My family and I just were, were in North Carolina in the last week, and, and I was looking at the waves of the ocean, and I was just fascinated by how they roar. And there is nothing you can do to stand against those waves. Just God lets them do it. And, and it just helped me to, to stand there on that ocean and say, be still and know that I am God. He is God. We couldn't stop the rain from falling if we wanted. He is God. This is a warning to the nations that whole nations can be judged. Nations that oppress the needy and quash the hope of the poor are not working on the side of God and they will be judged. Because just like God remembered the Israelites in Egypt, he remembers those who have been oppressed and the time will come when he will say, let my people go. These verses are relevant to the situation that the world finds itself in today. The attack on Christian faith, 
the distorting of scripture. We're living in times when men act as if they are God. We think of our small exploits that if we go to Mars and if we can discover planets, oh, then we're small little gods. But David pleads with the Lord. He makes a bold prayer that almost feels like he's commanding the Lord. He says, arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. I'll end with one quote, a famous quote attributed to Napoleon Bonaparte, uh, who is the former emperor of France, and he makes this same point clear. He's quoted as saying, Alexander, the great Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires. But on what did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men would die for him. Napoleon was just really saying, men will always be men. But God will always be God. In Jesus, God did for us what no man could ever do. And that's why he deserves all the glory, all the honor, all the praise, and all the thanksgiving. Amen. Amen.